Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 again this evening. While you're turning, I'd like to thank all of you that are, well, all of you for all of your involvement in the ministry, but I was thinking particularly of those who help us to minister musically, the accompanists and the folks who play for the offertory and the song leaders and the choir director. Thank you for the work you do here and the work that you must do elsewhere to get ready for that. Appreciate that so very much. I was thinking, I was just kind of reminiscing as we were singing I Surrender All. The, the only place that song had in the early days of my Christianity was at the end of a service as an invitation song. And uh, it got used a lot. And uh, so I just thought it was interesting to have it as part of the service. Let's go ahead and stand. And we'll turn to verse number 9. We're going to read down to verse number 16 this evening. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 9 through verse number 16. But they that, excuse me, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things, follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. I give thee charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, And before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. And let's pray. Well, Father, this is the command and the instruction. I pray that we would be obedient to it. I pray particularly, Father, for those who are young, for those who are getting started in this world, that they would not be turned aside after the pursuit of wealth. I pray for those who are farther down the road, who perhaps enjoy some level of prosperity, that they would not be sidetracked by it. I pray for those of us who are in our senior years, who perhaps have developed a trust and confidence for our old age in our savings that we would not think too highly of earthly possessions. I pray that we would be obedient to the instructions that we are given tonight. And so help us to understand them, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may, of course, be seated. 
Well, again, beginning in what to us is chapter 5, Paul has begun to talk to various groups of people in the church. He has spoken to the assembly in general in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5 about how Timothy, although young and although the pastor wielding biblical authority, is to interact with those in the congregation. He has talked about widows in verses 3 through 16. He has talked about the way the church and pastors should interact in verses 17 through 25. He has talked to those who are servants. He has talked to those who are masters. And now he talks to those, to everybody in the congregation about money. He singles out two distinct groups. One are those who are in the pursuit of it. And that is verses 9 and 10. We dealt with that last week. And then, Lord willing, next week we will deal with those who have it. Verses 17 through 19. And God has something to say to each group. And in between, we have our passage this evening. Verses 11 through 16. In which Paul is making a passionate appeal to Timothy and therefore to all of us to not fall prey to what he is concerned about in verses 9 and 10, folks. And if you think about it, then the longer you've been around, the more you realize how many people their Christianity has been damaged by their pursuit of money and the things that money will provide. And... They just get sidetracked. And this is oftentimes to their great detriment. Verses 9 and 10, again, without re-preaching them, I would point out to you are entirely cautionary and negative in nature. There is not one positive benefit. In other words, if the Lord were to say something to somebody like this, what are your life's goals? And they said, my goal is to be rich the Lord would say, no good thing will come of that. And if we were to say, no, 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 I want to be rich so that I can use it for the Lord, the Lord would say, no good thing will come to anybody whose purpose is to be rich. No good thing will come to anybody whose purpose is to be rich. It's not going to happen. You might end up rich, but if the goal of a believer is to become rich, he is in a swamp. And he will not get easily out of it. And so then again, in verse number 11 through verse number 16, Paul makes this very impassioned plea to Timothy. But it is not just a plea. Timothy, don't go down that road. Nine and ten are bad. Don't go down there. It is as Paul often does, folks. It is instructive in nature. God is not simply concerned with telling us all the things we cannot do. He wants to tell us the things that we ought to do. And that's what is going on in this passage. In verses 11 through 16, there are five distinct commands given to Timothy. Five things that Timothy must do if he is to avoid verses 9 and 10. In other words, folks, it is not simply enough to read a passage like 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10 and go, yeah, you know what, that's never going to happen to me. 
That's never going to happen to me. It is not going to happen to us to the extent that we are attentive to what we ought to do. Now I'm going to take those five commands and track them along three different arenas or three different views, if you will. But we will look at the five commands. The first aspect or the first point of the outline, if you will, is this. An earthly focus. Our relationship with money and material things. What should be our relationship with money and material things? We recognize, right? We recognize, folks, a little bit of the quandary. God wants you to work. It is God's will that you have food to eat and clothes to wear and a home to live in through work. That this is what God has for us, is to work in this world. Work is honorable. Work is dignified. Work is the calling of our lives. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. We were created to work. We were not created to spend the vast majority of our time playing. Not the vast majority of our time. Not the vast majority of our life. Not to be able to retire at 35 or 40 and then do whatever we wish. Periodically, somebody will say to me, Don't worry about retiring. Retire. Go ahead. Spend time with your family. You've earned it. That is just flat out unbiblical. We have been made to work. We've been created to work. And working is the way that God has for us to live in this world. But, but, we are to not worship our work or worship the things that our work will provide. And so we have a relationship, although we are believers, with earthly things, with material things, with money itself, and the things that money can buy. And so here is where we enter then into the first of our five commands. Verse number 11. But thou, O man of God, flee. Flee. Run away from Get away from these things. And the things I think that he is talking about here, folks, and we'll mention this a couple of times because he will tell Timothy to keep the commandment in verse number 14, is what he is talking about in verses 9 and 10, which follow upon a a heretical teaching that he has mentioned. Those who are teaching and supposing that gain is godliness. And again, right? it's very easy to identify those as the prosperity preachers on television That's true. The Joel Osteens of this world, they're heretics. We stipulate to that. But we want to be careful of subtle forms of this as well. That all of God's blessings are material and financial in nature. And that if we do not enjoy those material blessings and financial blessings to the degree that others are, then God just is not as pleased with us. That is an equally treacherous but less visible corruption of Bible doctrine. Flee these things. Run away from them. Flight. The conscious act of escaping. That's what he's talking about. The conscious act of escaping. The way that we would take steps, folks, to avoid other temptations. Okay? I don't fight this fight very successfully, but I do fight it a little bit. 
So I had done some things around the house Friday and had kind of finished up as much as I wanted to get done Friday. It was still early in the afternoon. My wife was working. One of our daughters is there working with her. And I said to my wife, I'm going to the office. Do you have things you have to do? No, but there's no food at the office. There's just no food at the office. If it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon and I don't have anything to do but be at the house, I'm going to be in the refrigerator. So you just, I just made a decision to leave. There are things in our lives, folks, that we recognize as dangerous to us. There may be times that you know you need to turn the TV off or the computer off. There are times you know you need to walk away from a conversation or a situation. You know this. You know that those are dangerous places for you to be. And so, you make a conscious effort to go. Okay? Got to have the same mentality when it comes to things financial. This is one of the reasons. This is one of the reasons that learning to give and to give generously is so important. Doesn't have anything to do with the law of Moses. It is one of the conscious, deliberate steps that we can make to combat our love affair with money and the stuff that it provides. Flee. Run away. And then in verse number 11, But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after. Follow after. And again, this is a deliberate decision. Just like you make a conscious decision to escape some things, you make a conscious decision to pursue certain things. And Paul gives, as he often does, kind of this abbreviated list of Christian attributes. Follow after righteousness, right conduct that is in line with God's standard. Follow after godliness, reverence towards God. The, the, the concept of having what we say about God to be in perfectly in line with how we live for God. God is these things, and my life then is an attempt to live up to those things. This is what true godliness is. Faith, and of course I think it goes without saying, but I'll say it nevertheless, that this is the exercise of faith. Not, not simply the body of what we believe, but the practice of what we say we believe. Love. Love for God and love for man. Fight the good fight of faith. Run away from or flee certain things. Follow certain things, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, which is the idea of endurance, of just being at this a long time, and meekness. The idea there is gentleness or control, moderation. These are all attributes that are regularly discussed throughout the Bible as true godliness. And I think, folks, that we should read this. You should read verse number or verse number ten. I mean, verse. No, I'm sorry, verse number eleven, and read it in contradiction of verse number four and five and six. Those who are teaching that gain is godliness. Gain is not godliness. Righteousness is godliness. Love is godliness. Meekness is godliness. Patience is godliness. How much money you have is just how much money you have. It can be used in a godly manner, but it is not a reflection of your spiritual value or your, or your necessarily your spiritual priorities. 
understand what true godliness is. So with reference to the physical, tangible, material aspects of life, the cash in your pocket, the credit available to you on your credit card, the money in your bank and the things that you buy with it, flee the wrong mindset. Our lives do not consist of the abundance of the things that we possess. We didn't bring them into the world. We're not taking them out of the world. Pursue the things that God calls truly godly. The things that truly matter to Him. Aspect number two is our relationship then with spiritual things. First, there is an earthly focus. Things to flee and things to follow. Secondly, there is a heavenly focus. Verse number 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. <clears throat> now these lines are kind of blurry, folks. Right? I mean, we're physical people who live as spiritual people We have material things that we are endeavoring to use in a spiritual way. And by spiritual, I do not mean invisible. You can take your checkbook this evening out of your, wherever you keep it. And you can use that checkbook carnally or spiritually. You can use your life to Fill your life, you can use it to fill your life with the things that this world says really matter more. Always on the increase. Not just a place to live, but a bigger and better place to live. Always more. Always in the acquisition. And look, folks, we're Americans. We tend to have a lot of stuff. We're talking as a congregation about expanding our garage in part so we have more storage for our stuff. But Westwood Heights Baptist Church is never going to be judged to the extent that the Lord judges churches on how much stuff we have. And how much stuff we have is not an accurate indicator of how highly God might think of us. We want to use the stuff that we have spiritually. We want to be able to rightly relate it to the Lord and to His purposes. And this is what I'm talking about, spiritual things. The way that we use our money. The way that we use our time. The way that we think about our money. The way that we think about our time. There is a reality, folks, that the demonstration of our spiritual depth is exposed by the way we relate material things to the Lord. And here again, Paul gives Timothy two commands. In verse number 11, the two commands sit in opposition to each other. Flee these things, follow other things. Here are the commands. 
function in unison in verse number 12. Here is command number three. Command number one, flee. Command number two, follow. Command number three, fight. Fight. This is a Greek word that we all know because it is the word agony or agonize. In Paul's world, it was not primarily an emotional word. It was actually an athletic word. Athletes went into the arena and they agonized. Football teams went to the field today and they agonized. They contested. They struggled. They waged a contest in which only one could win. Fight the good fight of faith. Contend for the prize. This is the same expression that Paul will use at the end of 2 Timothy about his own life. I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight of faith. And that brings us then to the fourth command that Paul has in the passage. And again, these commands function in union, not in contrast. Verse number 12, fight the good fight of faith. Here is the next command, lay hold. Lay hold of eternal life. Let me give it to you the way that we would say it. Get a grip. Get a grip on eternal life. Not just this life. Right? We're not just trying to get a grip on this life, folks. Juggling all the things that must be juggled. Work schedules, home schedules, paying the mortgage, paying for cars, getting the kids fed, clothed. Get a grip. Right? We've got to get a grip on things. Well, here's another command. Get a grip on eternal life. This is a word that is actually used to describe what Jesus did when Peter felt he was falling as he walked on the water. He grabbed him. Jesus reached out, put his hands on Peter, pulled him into the boat. Get a grip. Get a grip. It takes a tremendous amount of concentration, diligence, effort, and desire, folks, to be a good Christian. It's not accidental. It requires making decisions. And the way the Lord sets it up is that it oftentimes involves making decisions in light of this world. I mean, just think about this simple thing that we all go through. Time to read our Bibles and pray. Oh, it would be easy to read our Bible and pray if we had a button we could push that would stop the clock between when we sat down and when we got up so that it took no time out of the day, wouldn't it? But it just doesn't work like that. But neither does it work like this. Nobody just falls into it. Nobody just happens into it. It takes effort, concentration, desire, willpower. It's a contest. It's a struggle. We get up some days, 
We don't want to read our Bibles. We get up. We don't want to pray. It's part of the contest. Get a grip. Get a grip on eternal life. And Paul gives to Timothy two reasons why he should do this. Why should he fight the good fight? And why should he get a grip on eternal life, the life that is to come? The first is to go back to verse number 12, Timothy's call. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called. We've been called to eternal life, folks. One of the words we use to describe our invitation to become the Lord's people, to be saved, to trust Jesus, is called. That's a Bible word. We have been called to eternal life. This is the invitation to live with God forever. Lay hold of it. Grab onto it. Latch onto it as something worth possessing. God has called us to eternal life. If you hired a contractor to do anything, to to mow your yard or to shovel your snow or to paint your house, we did this. This was many, many years ago. Our neighbor had his house painted and he said, you know, the guy did an okay job and he gave us a great price. And we contacted the guy and he gave us, I mean, it was just an unbelievable price. It was like, really, you'd paint your house for that much? It took about six months. He painted our house. He painted the grass. He painted the landscaping. He'd come out and paint for a couple of hours and he'd leave and he'd come back a week later and he'd paint a couple more hours. You know, if you call somebody to do something, you're not unreasonable to say to them, you know, this, is, this was what we were going to do, right? You were going to paint my house. I'm not being an ogre by saying, you said you'd paint my house, I called you to paint my house, paint my house. We've been called to eternal life. This is the call, folks. The call is to life eternal. God says, lay a hold of it. Put your hands on it. Get your mind around it. So there is Timothy's call, verse number 12, and there is Timothy's commitment. And Paul is simply encouraging Timothy to continue what he has started. Fight the good fight of faith, verse 12. Lay hold on eternal life, for unto they're also called, and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. You know, Timothy, to this point, you've lived a good Christian life in the presence of many people. Don't don't walk away from that. But you say, would we really have to say that to somebody like Timothy? But how many people do we know, folks, who have walked away from it? Or have drifted away from it? After years of what appears to be faithful service, they're just gone. I don't mean gone from this local church or that local church. They're just gone from the Lord's service completely. Put your hands on eternal life. So there is an earthly focus. Flee 
and follow. There's a heavenly focus. Fight the fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. And then there is, finally, verses 13 through 16, the focus of the Lord himself. The focus of the Lord himself. I give thee charge, verse number 13, in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, excuse me, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'll stop there for now. The fifth and final commandment, commandment, flee, follow, fight, lay hold. The fifth and final commandment, folks, is found in verse number 14, that thou keep this commandment without spot. I command you in God's sight, God the Father, I command you in the sight of Jesus Christ, God's Son. And I would remind you, verse number 13, that Jesus Christ Himself bore good testimony. That's the idea of the verse. Not that He was an observer to a good witness, but that He was the good witness. That no matter what Pontius Pilate threw at Him, or what Pontius Pilate asked of Him, Jesus maintained His loyalty to His identity and to His mission. So I command you, in the presence of God the Father and the presence of the perfect man, our Savior, Jesus Christ, keep this commandment. And again, I think specifically it is the commandment of verse number 11. Right? Run away from the mentality that the world has about money that creeps into the church. Then in verse number 14, in verses 14 and 15, Paul just kind of seamlessly without apparently being conscious moves back and forth between God the Father and Jesus the Son talking about both of them individually in their practice and their function but in their sameness as deity. So I charge you, verse number 13, before God the Father, and before Jesus, that you keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, that no one would ever have to correct you about this until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in His times He shall show. And and this is where Paul just kind of seamlessly goes back and forth. Who's going to show? God the Father is going to show Jesus in His times. Another Greek word that we know, this is the epiphany. He will show Him. There will be an epiphany. Which in His due times He shall show who is the blessed and only potentate. 
the singular prince, the only one with might and power and authority that has been granted to him. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then in verse number 16, back to the Father. Because these are things that are true of the Father that cannot be entirely true of the Son. Who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen. Well, that's not true of Jesus, is it? He is immortal, but only God the Father lives in the light that no man has can approach and that no man has seen, nor can see to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. Keep this commandment without spot. Don't get dirty. And I find it interesting that Peter calls it filthy lucre. Don't get dirtied by money. And again, folks, we could make the argument, well, this is something that Paul is telling Timothy, but I would just point out to you that Timothy's, part of his responsibility is to be an example so that he can say to the congregation in Ephesus, look, there's a right way to think about money and a wrong way to think about money. And we need to think about money in the right way. And that's going to mean that we conduct ourselves properly when it comes to money, that we're going to handle it well. And verses 17 through 19 give us some of the components of handling it well so that we are not rebukable in this area. Let me just conclude with this, folks. Please accept God's sincere instruction to you how perilous it is to become a money lover. It is dangerous for your soul. This is not God being mean. This is not God or the preacher saying, and the solution to that is to give it all to me. I can handle being rich, but you can't. This is a loving Father who is perfect and without flaw warning us about a quagmire that we cannot easily escape. And it is all pervasive. The love of money is the root of not every single evil, but certainly all sorts of evil. And our Christianity suffers in multitudes of ways from the wrong love affair with money and what it will provide. And so here are five positive commands. Flee the wrong teaching about money. Follow genuine Christian attributes. Be in the pursuit of them. Fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on the fact that you have eternal life offered to you. And guard the command. Guard this. Be on watch for it. Don't don't be slack about this. Let's pray tonight.
Our Heavenly Father, I pray again for myself and for these your people. And Father, you know that you have blessed almost every one of us here at Westwood Heights Baptist Church and all believers in America in a way that is unique in world history. When it comes to the amount of money that we have and the amount of money we have access to and the quality of life that we enjoy through that money, help us to not be sinfully attached to the money and what it provides. And help us to take your cautions and your instructions to heart. I pray this for us in Jesus' name. Amen.